welcome to the inaugural episode of the Andrew Steele podcast. Thank you for joining me. This is obviously a very special one. This is the debut edition. I hope this debut goes as smoothly as some of the great athletes of our time. I'll let you be the judge of that. But no, thank you for, for listening. Thank you for coming along on this ride. We've got lots planned for this podcast as well as the Blogs of Steel site which hopefully you've already checked out and, and have been enjoying. Today, I'm delighted to have on a good friend of mine, Chris Cotillo, who is the Boston Red Sox beat writer for the for Mass Live. Chris has been great for my career. To be honest, if it wasn't for Chris, I might not be here now. I, I joined his workshops, which which are God's work, and he he has played an integral role in, in me getting to this point. So in, in my mind, when I was lining up first guests for the pod, there, there was no one better than Chris, so great to have Chris on. He, he came on just to discuss the, the baseball off-season so far, returning back to the winter meetings, everything the Red Sox have done and, and perhaps haven't done, and what their expectations are going forward, and, and so much more. It's a really, really good long chat. We, we, we covered a lot of bases, ticked a lot of boxes, so that's coming right up. I think for the first one, I'm not going to dive into anything else i think i'm just gonna let you enjoy the conversation with chris and then going forward we'll we'll have a super bowl podcast preview episode up then after the super bowl i'm hoping to have someone on to break it all down i've got something lined up with another friend of mine um stefan rosner who is the new york islanders beat writer that's going to be a really interesting one then I've got a few more guests in the pipeline and we'll kind of play it by ear, but it's a really interesting time in sports right now. We, we've got the trade deadline in the NHL, you, the stretch runs in, in NBA in, in the NHL, spring trainings are on the horizon. It won't be long before the NFL draft. So there, there's lots going on. There, there's going to be lots going on going forward. So we're going to have some really great, great guests on. And, and that's what this podcast is is about, you know, Blogs of Steel, the site, is going to be a lot of long-form features, a lot of stories, a lot of analysis, interviews too. But this podcast, I really want to take you in inside the clubhouse, inside the locker room, and kind of take you behind the stories. And, and rather than listen to me drone on and on, I'm going to let my the experts talk, I guess. So without further ado, I'm going to shut up and... Enjoy the, the first ever episode of the Andrew Steele podcast, and here's my conversation with Chris. So, Chris, yeah, thank you for for joining me. Uh, you're the first ever guest on the Andrew Steele Davis podcast, which needs a better name and will get a better name eventually. Uh, we're still... Great name, I love it. <laughs> um the reason I wanted to bring you on first is you're someone I know um, well through courses that I've done of yours and you've been a great help for, for me and, and my career. And, and you're also the Boston Red Sox beat writer for, for Mass Live. And um, I just wanted to get you on because it's been an interesting off-season for the Red Sox. It's been an interesting off-season for baseball in general. And I kind of just wanted to bring you on and, and get your thoughts. So... Let's start off with a generic question. The Red Sox, there's been a lot of opinion on what they've done, what they haven't done. From your unique standpoint, what what have been your thoughts on, on what they've 
they've done this offseason and what that means to them going forward. Yeah, it's been crazy. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of moves, not just for that affect 2023, which they have done a lot of those, a lot of short term moves. But they've also, you know, there's been a lot of things that have happened that are, you know, big picture, huge deals moving forward. I mean, the two biggest, obviously, being Xander Bogarts leaving for the Padres and Rafael Devers. Yeah, signing a, a massive extension that was official this week. So, um, you know, on one hand, you lose a franchise cornerstone. On the other hand, you make sure you lock one up and you have a guy who's there for the next uh, 11 years. And, um, you know, I don't think those two things are unrelated, right? You lose one guy and um, people start wondering if you can compete, if you can be a big market team. Fans are getting restless and they went out and signed Devers. So, um, you know, it's hard to look at the offseason as a success as currently as things currently stand just because they lost Sander Bogarts, right? That was their number one priority. They got outbid. They overplayed their hand with him. And they lost a guy who was a perfect citizen and a great player, manning a, a premier position for them for the last decade. Um, in terms of filling out the current roster, Corey Kluber, Justin Turner, uh, Masataka Yoshida, um, Kenley Jansen, Chris Martin, Jolie Rodriguez, like they've signed six free agents who I think, you know, have a chance to get them to be a, uh, to fill some clear holes on the team. A lot of those other than Yoshida are one and two year deals for guys in their late thirties. Um, so those are kind of more stopgap options. Uh, I thought the Devers deal was great for the team, but you know, if you look at it, it's hard to look at it. And even, you know, even with all those good moves they've made to look at it as a success, just because, you know, Bogart's walked and, and I'm sure we'll talk about Trevor's story a little bit, but him getting hurt means, you know, they have a lot of holes up the middle still, even before spring training starts. So the picture is not complete yet. It's been extremely busy. Um, a lot going on. Uh, some good, some bad. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to get into on on just the Red Sox uh, specifically. And you mentioned Trevor's story there. Before we move on to that, I just kind of want to get your your kind of professional, personal read on the on the Bogart situation and what that kind of means for for Hein Bloom and his vision for for this team and how how he does things yeah I mean they they really did try um you know throughout the season in spring training they just I think they overestimated you know Bogart's chances of going elsewhere I thought they they think I think they thought you know if we give him a, a deal that is you know maybe below market value whatever he'll accept it he'll be team friendly all that type of stuff and he did that before he signed a deal like that in 2019 where he got a six-year 120 million dollar deal obviously had the opt-out that allowed him to go test free agency this time. And this time he wanted to get, you know, that, that lifetime contract almost. And, you know, they, they weren't willing to come to terms. I mean, I think if they had offered him maybe six for 160 or something in that range in April, May, June, they probably would have gotten it done. But at the end, the Padres decided, you know, for lack of a better term, to get stupid. You know, I don't think there's anybody out there that looks at that deal and thinks, wow, that's going to really age well. You know, Jennifer Bogart is going to be making $26, 27000000 million a year at age 41 in 11 years uh, when that deal came out, you know, people were shocked. I, I can't fault the Red Sox for not making that deal. I do think there were deals that they you know, would have made before. Um, they just don't want to pay a player into his forties. We saw that Rafael Devers extension expires when he's 36. I think they drew a line in the sand there. Um, it's just, you know, uh, I, I, again, I can't criticize them for not matching San Diego in December, but I think there was room to do it before. And, um, you know, now that you look at the glaring holes on the roster, the glaring holes in terms of leadership, all that type of stuff, it's, um, it's, uh, I, I feel like they probably wish they could go back in time and fix, fix things with Bogart before it got to that point. Once you let a guy go and test free agency, even if he loves the Red Sox, loves Boston, all that type of stuff, 
he can see if the grass is greener and he can see if that pile of money's taller. And in both cases, I think he thought that was the case here. I, I do get the sense. I mean, the, the Dodgers are kind of living through. I think if you're a big market team and you've got other big market teams like the Yankees, the Mets that are going out and, and spending you know, silly money and and making big move after big... I know the Yankees obviously only really spent a lot of money on Aaron Judge, but I think there is a kind of tendency to, to view all big market teams through that same prism. But I think it can be said, you know, the Dodgers are obviously, I think, maybe getting ready for a big move next year. You know, there's going to be a certain big, big name free agent next year that I think everyone's going to be in on. And I think there's something to be said for maybe being a bit um, prudent, like the Red Sox are, but given the the Trevor Story thing, if that would have happened early, do you think they would have been in on someone like Correa, or or, or would they have gone out and 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 made a a big name acquisition, or, or is their plan to always to be prudent and and to have gone the approach they have done? I think, and Scott Boris said this to us when we asked him after the fact about Bogarts. He said he thinks that they're the reason that they were you know, pretty hesitant to go that long on Bogarts is because they, they really want to clear the path for Marcelo Meyer, who's their top shortstop prospect who should be ready in two or three years. That, to me, made it always kind of unlikely they'd go out and get a Correa or a Swanson or Turner, whoever it may be. Um, you know, I think that this is kind of a... Um, they're looking maybe for a stopgap. I think Hassan Kim in San Diego makes a lot of sense. Joey Wendell is another guy in Miami they're interested in. So, um you know, I, I do think that they're going to look for a couple more short-term stopgap options here. I know that's not super satisfying for the fan base, but they, they're really banking on a lot out of Meyer. So um, that seems to be the path they chose. You you touched on there's uh, there's a lot of kind of almost stopgap names in that lineup, obviously Justin Turner and, and a couple you just mentioned there. So given the strength of the AR East now, um, and and some of the the teams that are on the rise. What are your own realistic expectations for for the Red Sox in twenty twenty three? Yeah, I think the the Trevor Story thing changes it a little bit. You know, they needed a lot out of him in twenty twenty three just because you know he only played in ninety year. He was hurt. He this is you know it's kind of unfortunate because this is not a guy who is an injury prone player. He was an everyday you know one hundred and fifty plus game you know guy. Um, the hilarious tweet that came uh, that I received the other day was a guy say, how could you say he's durable in 2020? He only played 59 games as if it was 59 out of 162. It was 59 out of 60 in the shortened season. So, um, you know, I think like people for some reason think he's injury prone. Last year, a couple of fluke things. He got hit in the wrist with a ball. I think the Red Sox might have misdiagnosed the injury and it was worse than they thought. And then he had a heel injury toward the end of the season, the last couple of weeks when they were already out of it and they didn't push him. So this one is a significant injury, elbow surgery, a Tommy John uh, type deal um, should have him out for at least half the season. And to me, that really hurts their chances, you know, unless they go out and get a star because he's a guy that could give you great defense up the middle to give you a potent bat in the middle of the lineup. But I thought he was going to have a good year there and a second year. Now that he's more comfortable, you know, if you look at, I think it's clear that the, the Yankees and Blue Jays are above the Red Sox in the East. I think that's pretty obvious. The other three teams, the Rays always find a way to be good, you know, um, and I know they went and made a couple big moves this offseason, Eflin being one of them. You know, they're good at turning guys who are like, uh, you know, good elsewhere into being great for them. They just have that pitching lab, um, <clears throat> you know, is, uh, the way it works. Is, uh, and the Orioles are an upstart haven't done that much this offseason so 
you know, Red Sox could finish anywhere between third and fifth, I think. In the American League East, it's probably good enough to keep you competing for one of those wild card spots. I think it's going to help the Red Sox that they're not going to be going up against the AL East as much on the schedule. Last year, they were uh, horrendous against the division. I think they were they won two or three games against the Blue Jays. They were not great against Tampa. They were not good against the Yankees. So, um, you know, going up against, uh, you know, some of the lesser teams, maybe from the National League or the other divisions in the American League will be helpful. And I think you're going to see inflated win totals across the American League East. I mean, all five of those teams can theoretically beat up. It doesn't always work this way, but it, it should on paper beat up on some bad AOS teams or beat up on some bad interleague teams. And, you know, you might see a fifth place team in that division have, you know, 80 something wins uh, just because of the new schedule is going to change how we look at things. So that might be good enough to have them in wild card contention. Uh, we'll see. I think that's the hope. Again, the roster's incomplete, so it's tough to really exactly see where they're going to be. I think, you know, a move for somebody like Kim and then another you know piece up the middle or maybe an Adam Duvall, something like that would be helpful. But um, as of now, you know, fourth or fifth, probably in the East. And just, Final question on 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 the Red Sox, and I kind of want to go more ownership. So I hear it all the time with the Yankees in terms of you know it it didn't used to be like this back in the day with George Steinbrenner, and but they still spend a lot of money. And at what point you know because obviously there's been a lot of stuff aimed at Red Sox ownership, but mm-hmm. at, at what point does the kind of buck stop with? the front office in terms of the resources that they're being given in terms of putting a better product on the, on, on the field. What What's your general view on that constant kind of blame game between the front office and, and ownership? Yeah, I think that stuff's all been overblown. You know, Heim Bloom came in and people said he's going to make this Tampa Bay North or, you know, bring his raised principles to Boston, which I think in, in a lot of ways he has, right. He's had some really good deals that are, you know, whether he gets Garrett Wetlock in the Rule 5 draft or Christian Arroyo, Nick Pavetta, some of these guys that have been pretty good contributors that you get in the margins. Um, but he hasn't made the big deal largely because the first couple of years he was not really capable of making the big deal because they had so much money tied up. This is a team that was paying Hanley Ramirez and Pablo Sandoval and up until last year, David Price. And those guys were not on the team. Um, and you had, you know, J.D. Martinez making $20 million last year and Nate Evaldi making $17 million and you know, those guys are still serviceable. They're still in the league, all that type of stuff. But when you have enough of them and Chris Sale making a ton of money did not pitch and um, Bogart's making a lot of money and Devers starting to make some money. Like when you have all those guys that were the core of a championship team in 2018, you know, at a certain point, they're all going to be in their mid thirties and still making in the back end of that contract. This is the year I think it aligned for all those guys to be making that much money. And so the rest of the roster, he couldn't do much with, you know, Trevor story was a big, addition. um, and I think that signaled that, you know, when there's a move to be made, they can go out and make a big move. And they did, you know, for him, $140 million, not small. But I think the Devers thing proves, you know, that they are willing to spend if they have the opportunity to do so. And I think that they're going to be big players on that free agent market next year, whether it be for Otani or Soto, or one of those players, go get another star to pair with Devers and, and go from there and see what your minor league system that Bloom's building up can, um, can give you. You know, I, I really think that, you know, the <clears throat> around here and you know not calling out the fans who are my readers because i appreciate that but like there is this uh kind of ridiculous um type of um you know this is kind of ridiculous notion that uh people are spoiled because of the world series championships they've won you know, all of a sudden, it's if you don't win a championship, it's it's a wasted year. And, like, there's 30 teams vying for that. And I think, you know, they won one four years ago. 
2019, they brought back the same team, which everybody was fine with. They were disappointed. 2020, complete aberration, complete wash. 2021, they were two games short of the World Series. And then last year, um, you know, they actually had a disappointing, no-excuse year. And, and fans are fed up with that for some reason. Um, four years removed from a World Series, and they've had four in the last decade. So the fans don't have much patience. They don't like Bloom for whatever reason. I think the Deverstang was a sign of goodwill. And for that, you know, I think the leash might be kind of short, even though I don't think he deserves that at all. So it's a very interesting kind of inflection point for them. Um, and, you know, I, I think that um, fan outrage is loud, especially before the Devers deal. It's a little quieter now. I just want to ask you a couple of general baseball questions because it has been a crazy offseason. I think the the amount of money we've seen spent and and some of the, the names that have moved and, and you know, Maybe some of the moves that have been lined up for next year, as we said with with Otani, you know, there's I think there's a couple of teams like the Dodgers that are maybe have got their eyes on next year. But I think the the one guy that kind of links everything, and and he he's what I want to ask you about is Carlos Correa. So I want to ask you firstly because I'm lucky enough to to have been covering the Mets for Mets Mesmerize, and my role with them is getting bigger and bigger, and mm-hmm. um. Early hours of Sunday morning, you know, Saturdays are my day to run the site. Early hours of Sunday morning, I get a text from the the main editor who who's got sources within the team or around the team and told me, you you know, you better start writing a Correa has walked article. Um, you know, we we had a Correa has finally signed article in the in the drafts for two weeks. What is someone who is obviously, um you know, a, a beat writer for the Red Sox, but very much within baseball circles. What what was your your whole take on that on that situation? Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. You know, I've never seen I mean, we've never seen a guy agree to three massive deals with three different teams. Um, you know, the Giants obviously I think were the favorite all along. Um they were a team that made a lot of sense. They, you know, we knew they wanted to judge. They had to go get somebody. They ended up going to get getting Correa. Uh, I think the craziest piece of it was the flip, you know, where, oh, the press conference is off and then all of a sudden done deal with the Mets that day, I think was the craziest piece. And then obviously, you know, the way Steve Cohen does business is different. So for him to come out and say, we got this guy, we got this guy and to talk publicly about a player who then failed the physical is um, great for those who cover the Mets and horrible for baseball because um, people are going to be really, really buttoned up. I've heard that already from the Red Sox, like even you know, not minor deals, but more minor deals in comparison to that one. You know, we were waiting for weeks for them to announce Corey Kluber and Justin Turner and nobody on the team, nobody with the team would acknowledge that those people even existed because they won't be really careful and saying like, Hey, even in the wake of this Correa thing, we have to be more buttoned up. We have to make sure everything's really done before we talk about it. Um, And so that's interesting. Um, but yeah, not, I've never seen anything like it. You know, there's part of me that thought the Red Sox would jump in uh, over the weekend if he was going to sign a two or three year deal. Obviously, if he's going to get six. That was not going to happen. Um, you know, good for the Twins for ultimately, you know, getting him. I, I think that it's uh, pretty interesting to see that, you know, the ankle thing or whatever, that's going to be real if two teams, two, two different teams look at it and see the same thing. Um, and so, um, you know, it'll be kind of a, we'll see how this plays out over the next few years. And, you know, I know Giants fans and Mets fans, along with Twins fans, obviously, and Astros fans who know him for so long are going to have um, their eyes on Carlos Correa and what he does. And, you know, those doctors who scuttle those deals, there's a lot of pressure there. You know, in a way, they're probably hoping that that deal does not look to be a good one for Minnesota. So, um, 
But, you know, in those cases, if, if you're giving a guy $350 million or $315 million, you want a healthy player for more than a decade. And if ultimately the read was that they weren't getting one, then, you know, those doctors spoke up and made sure they didn't. So um, I think the Twins are thrilled about how it worked out. Uh, they get the guy they really liked back. Um, but again, a saga unlike anything we've ever seen in, in, in baseball. And I've been closely monitoring the free agent market, you know, at least from a work perspective for almost a decade now, getting back to when I was in high school and starting out. I, and there's nothing like that ever. With, with the the career ankle thing, as you as you said, you know, two teams walked away from 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 big deals, and I think why the Mets were so significant, as you said, Steve Cohen, uh, Steve Cohen, sorry, came out and unlike any other owner, made it clear he, he you know he, he came out when he went to the Giants and said, you know, we really wanted him, and then um, was was very public throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Similar to the you know with. Bogarts with the Padres and, and Aaron Judge with the Yankees. Obviously, I know they haven't got injury concerns. Obviously, Judge, you know, wasn't able to stay healthy for a bit. Although the, the past two years of he he's been durable, but with a lot of these deals, is it a case of teams kind of looking at the short term and thinking, right, we'll we'll pay big money, long term contracts, but we're we're paying for the next two, three, four years, and we'll worry about the last chunk of that contract when we get to it, especially if we get a World Series out of it? Is that the kind of attitude throughout front offices in all sports? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, you look at, you know, even dating back, go back 10 years ago to the Pujols deal with the Angels and Josh Hamilton's deal and something like, so you'd be like, oh, well, you know, this is going to be horrible when this guy's you know, 38, 39, 40, and you're paying him, you know, $30 million a year or 35, whatever it is. And again, you know, as I said, that's a huge reason why the Red Sox were comfortable doing this deal with Devers because he's only 26. The deal will be up when he is 36. You know, if he's 34, 35, 36 and he's lost something, it's a lot easier to swallow than if he's 41 and a DFA candidate, you know. Um, And, you know, who knows? Maybe he's a guy who's a DH and can continue. And we've seen Nelson Cruz and David Ortiz and some of these guys continue playing and, and hitting up until that age anyway. So, um, I don't know. I think there's a um, the you know I think that's kind of the, the rationale where teams are willing to pay for the front end of the contract, worry about the back end later. But if you want to pay, if you want to play on that end of the free agent market, you know you have to guarantee. In these cases, you know sometimes ten, eleven years. We saw that this year, the big contract kind of came back. You know there was kind of that movement toward that short term high AAV deal. Correa's deal last year is an example. Verlander's deal, Scherzer's deal. I know those guys are older. Um, but we've seen, you know, like uh, obviously um, Seager a year ago and, and then Turner and Bogarts and um, the original Correa deals this time. You know, teams are are willing to go more than a decade again, which is good for the game, um, good for fans. But, you know, there's a lot of inherent risk there at the end. So now we've reached the This Is Your Life um, portion of the podcast. I want to kind of ask, just talk to you more about you specifically um and, and we'll start with kind of what uh an off season looks like for a for a beat writer um especially more focused on this off season the, the most burning question is have you been able to get your daily ice cream take because no i have not had yeah i know twitter followers be disappointed but i have <laughs> i have not had a single scoop of ice cream since the end of the season it's just it's not that i'm a uh an ice cream aficionado it's more that i am just a man of convenience. And when the soft serve machine is there, 
you know, that's that looks good. Do we go for it? Eat it before the game, and then in the winter, um, you know, it's just it's obviously cold here in Boston. It's just not a real fit. So I have not. Um, in terms of kind of the routine, it's been insane. I think, um, you know, my my partner on the beat, Chris Smith, who is awesome at his job, is a uh, is a dad for the second time as of the summer, and he's taking a paternity leave for most of the off season, which is awesome that we have that as a company. Um, and so he's off. So that means that, uh, you know, in terms of Red Sox stuff, uh, a lot of it falls on me, um, which it would anyway, obviously we both would kind of be, you know, dealing with everything, but obviously when <clears throat> we're a man down, it's, it becomes more of my responsibility. Um, and again, I don't fault him for that. I, th- I think he thinks that I, I do, I do not. I think it's great that he's with the kids, obviously, but, um, you know, it comes down to it's kind of a 24 seven, um, monitoring news type of thing, you know? And, uh, you wake up any day, you know, at least during the season, you wake up and, you know, like, all right, I'm going to the ballpark at two 30. I'm going to cover a game, probably be home by 12. If all hell breaks loose, you know, if someone gets fired or something like crazy things, I guess theoretically could happen, but probably you're going to get a, a normal day. And obviously there's long days with travel and all that in the off season. Like, you wake up and say like, all right, I don't have much to do today. You know, I know there's got, you know, this might happen. They might do this, but, and then something like Trevor story, you know, serious elbow injury gets dropped on us. And for me, that that's the whole day, you know, and it's a lot of stories and maybe a podcast about it, interviews and all that type of stuff. So, you know, this week's been particularly crazy. Tuesday was the story stuff. Wednesday was Devers press conference. Obviously a lot of angles there. Thursday Kluber was introduced. So they've been busy, which keeps me busy. Um, good because it keeps fans reading and keeps people interested. But in terms of uh, sleep, not as good. I mean, it, it just going back to to growing up in in England and just growing up around around soccer. Even I'm kind of at the age where even as far back as the early two thousands, it it wasn't as once it stopped, it stopped, and there was a little a little bit of a break but it, yeah. over the last 10 years or so it, it, with social media it's is exploded and, and particularly with with the four major sports in in america you know with, with with the draft and free agency and there's there's not a definitive off period is there it, it, it right. it's forever um forever changing and and social media itself with kind of the amount of um you know baseball insiders i, I just know we've with my gig with Mets Mesmerized, I have to, I've got alerts set for 16 different guys because you just never know when something's going to break. And it could be, as you said, it could, it could be early hours of the morning. It could be late at night. There's just no, with the way journalism now, you have to kind of be on it 24 seven. Right. It is. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, because it's theoretically my response and we do a backup, you know, we have columnists and other people who, are willing to step in and write mass live, which is great. But you know, when a Red Sox thing happens, it's theoretically, you know, <clears throat> I get first dabs, my responsibility with Chris off, you know, and I, I flew down to go see Carolina play in the ACC championship game against Clemson and get destroyed. And I hopped on the flight. The Red Sox hadn't done anything all winter. Didn't have Wi-Fi in the plane and stepped off and they had signed Chris Martin, you know, kind of a sizable deal. I was asleep in San Diego during the winter meetings and passed and tweeted out at 7 a.m. local. They had signed Kenley Jansen. Woke up to that like sometimes you're just going to be either asleep on a plane or somewhere else. And um, I went to New York for a weekend to see another Carolina game. They actually won this one. And Justin Turner signed, you know, while I was out and someone else. So, like, you can't sit here all day and wait for news. It's not a healthy way to live. you got to live your life. Um, 
you know, I always tell my friends and family, like, all right, we got this commitment on this day. So the Red Sox are going to make a huge move or do a huge thing. Um, you know, next week I'm going to New Orleans for a bachelor party and guarantee three trades and a free agent signing. So, um, you know, those are the types of things that happen. But again, you can't be, <clears throat> you can't be, you know, sitting here just hoping something happens 24 seven. It's not, it's not healthy. It's not realistic. Um, I'm looking forward, I guess, to the more, more of the routine of the, of the season. And, you know, we're going down to spring training a week for a month from yesterday. So it's, it's gone by quick. Uh, the off season can be dull. If there's not a lot going on, it can be kind of overbearing if they're doing too much. This one, I think leans in that direction a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a 365 day a year job. You know, people always ask me, that question, what do you do in the off season? As if I sit here and stare out the window and wait for baseball to come back. Uh, well, you know, Bogart's left, never signed. They signed six free agents, all these rumors, all this stuff. So um, it's, you know, I, I feel like I've written more words in the off season than I did probably August and September when they were out of it. Nobody cared. Yeah, because I think I, I've kind of learned this with, with Mets Mesmerize. I think even if there's a rumor, you know, there, um, I think yesterday there was, there was something linking, Andrew McCutcheon with the Mets. Obviously, I know he's he's gone back to Pittsburgh, but even if there's a rumor, you have to get something up now. And it's kind of that, as you said, it's not so much just the done deals. It, it's all the, the 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 stuff on the side of that that you have to keep on top of as well, because fans want content and they want content twenty four seven. That's exactly right, and people want to hear about the possibilities. I think you know the big thing is that you got to make sure. Um, the you got to make sure that you know it's coming from a legitimate source there's a lot of you know fake rumors out there and fake insiders and all that type of stuff that's kind of clouding the market so you got to make sure that it's you know it's legit and when it is you know people want to read about it want to read about the possibilities as a beat writer it's my job to see you know oh this was leaked out there this is why it makes sense this is why it wouldn't you know some analysis pieces to it too so um it's fast moving it is it's crazy and um you know it's uh it's constant also you mentioned spring training there, and, and that was kind of one of the things I wanted to ask because obviously we're none of us kind of need reminding that that COVID has been a thing. It still mm-hmm. is a thing, but sports is is kind of gradually got back to normal in a lot of aspects, and obviously the winter meetings were were kind of operated as 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 normal this year. So, right, what what has been your experience of of sports in terms of gradually getting back to normal what with the winter meetings and and what are your expectations for spring training and next year in terms of clubhouse access and and the way it used to be or or will there be certain things that will always be different now yeah we're uh, i think it'll be 100 percent normal the only weird thing about last year period was we had to wear masks in the clubhouse uh you know even when there's the rates were super low players and team officials don't didn't but writers did which was just some weird MLB Players Association rule, my takeaway there was like, well, you know, we don't want them in here anyway, so let's try to make them uncomfortable by having them wear masks even when literally it was the only place left you had to, like actually the last place. And I, you know, was always uh, always fine wearing a mask when it was necessary, and I think a lot of people were, and like I understand they work, all that stuff, but it got to a point where it was, you know, August, September last year, you don't have to wear them on planes anymore or public transport, and you know, literally the last place you had to. I think that's gone, which is good. Uh, Clubhouse access is going to be back to normal. You know, uh, we traveled last year for, you know, as much as we had in the past at Mass Live for Sox games. I expect that to be the case again. So um, that era is over. I think for me, in terms of a work standpoint, 
you know, the Zoom era and doing group interviews over Zoom and all that stuff, uh, you kind of get complacent in that and you you, you forget how much um, value there is to the in-person access and going around the clubhouse and talking to people. And so I, I was better about that last year than I was in 2019 just because I, you know, didn't take it for granted anymore. Like, I didn't have, I had two two years where I couldn't ask a player what I wanted to ask him personally one-on-one. Then, you know, now I had the opportunity again. I made sure, you know, not to waste the opportunity when I had it. I want to ask you two more things. Um, kind of sticking on the on the same theme in terms of what we've been talking about with with social media and 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 kind of COVID as well. You know, we obviously we saw recently um, the horrible and tragic incident with uh, Demar Hamlin at, with the Buffalo Bills and 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 he's collapsed on the field. And it's kind of always with, with sports reporting now. I, I think there's there was a lot of good, a lot of bad. Um, in kind of how how it was handled, but I think one thing that really um kind of caught my eye is I, I just quote tweeted a a video from uh like an interview with Ryan Clark from ESPN, and kind of just said that's kind of how it should be handled, and um it, it got a little bit of traction. But what kind of just took me by surprise was the amount of you know comments you have from people that obviously have an agenda or a, a, a political. Yeah. So from your kind of um, your role as, as a daily beat writer, how how have you kind of, you know, and I don't want to turn this political, but how, how do you handle that kind of stuff? Um, and, and, you know, and difficult tweets in, in general in your in your day to day role. Yeah, I think uh, something that I've learned over time is that you don't have to have a comment on everything. You know, like I did tweet when the Hamlin thing happened. I tweeted at Skip Bayless that he needed to shut up and stop tweeting, which I think was a very popular take that night. Um, And, you know, so, you know, there's people obviously who come at it with different things. And like, you know, there's always people think like people, first of all, they think that what they have to say matters more than it does. You know, just kind of let the moment breathe. It's a tragic moment. The whole country's watching. The whole world's watching. You don't have to say anything. You know, no one cares about your two cents on the situation. They just want the guy to get up and be fine. Um, and I think that's something that I've learned over time. And, you know, and also the mute button and the block button, they work well. <laughs> Absolutely. hundred um, percent. And to, to finish us off, as I mentioned at the start, we, we've got to know each other um, quite well through the, the, the brilliant work that, that you do with, with um, your courses for the next generation of, of um, sports reporters, sports writers. It, it's how we met and, and, you know, I'm not just saying this, I've said this to you in, in private, it's been a massive help to me um, in terms of really giving me the confidence to um, proceed with a career in in a country that I'm not, I wasn't born into. And um, and, it, and it certainly helped make me a better writer. And, I, you know, I'm getting less and less people say, I don't know what I'm talking about, which is always a good thing. Um, I still have plenty of those people. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure I will do the, the longer we go on. Um but for you, for someone who who is as busy as you are, um, particularly during the season, why why is it important for you to to, to do those courses and and to take the time to you know to to bring you know like Jeff Passon on and and other people to to come on and have chats with the group and um and and kind of give your experience to 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 people that you never met before? Why is it why is it important for you to do that? Um, you know, it's a it's 
that's I think the best part of my job, you know, and obviously, as you said, it's very busy. There's times where, you know, it's 100% just going to focus on the writing, podcasting, whatever comes with my mass live responsibilities. But there are a lot of times where it not being a nine to five, it not being a, you know, same schedule every day allows you to do some different things. And, you know, I, I was thinking of ways of, you know, I have this free time, especially in 2020 at Red Stars, we're not in the playoffs. That was kind of the, the start of it. Uh, what's something that I could do? You know, I feel like I'm equipped to talk about journalism and how to get into it because I've done it now for a few years and just started, you know, that course kind of became the, um, the bones of a college course I'm teaching at Boston College now the last semester and we'll do next fall covering sports in a digital age, which was a blast. And, you know, I come at it from I'm not a teacher. I don't know all the answers, but people have questions. And I think people, you know, I, I know that you had a lot of experience when you took it, but like a lot of people that come in and they have no idea how things happen behind the scenes and they have no idea like what a source is when you're breaking a story. And they think like, oh, you know, someone DM me, this is happening. So now I'm going to tweet it and like, that, that that muddies the waters right it does it's it makes you know it harder for everybody else so that that was part of it like you know not to get on my soapbox and explain how things work but you know a lot of people would reach out all the time and ask me how do i get into this what are some of your suggestions and you know i had some ideas and i put them kind of all together into the the long long pdf document and uh now kind of do a workshop for it and uh i think people have enjoyed it hopefully people have gotten something out of it you know i've met a lot of people you hundreds of other people that i've learned stuff from too so that's been kind of the coolest part and i don't know it's a, it's a you know definitely the side gig compared to the main one but um it's been a blast for the last few years no as i said it's certainly been a, a massive help to me and i know to to a load of other people as well um Thank you again, because I know it's been a busy week, you know, to to people on the outside of sports journalism. It may be the off season, but that doesn't exist for, for people like us. So thank you very much. Right. Um, hopefully I can get you on the, the, the podcast with a different name later on. Once the season started to get your, your views on all things Red Sox and, um, and, and we can kind of chat again about all things then, but thank you again, Chris, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it as always.